Blog Talk Radio. Who are the unstoppable ones? Is it just that they can do it and I can't? Who are the unstoppable ones? Is it just that they can do it and I can't? Mission Unstoppable. Mission Unstoppable. The unstoppable ones. You did say unstoppable, right? Yeah. You did say unstoppable, right? What is it they know that I don't? Coach Frankie Picasso takes you on the Mission Unstoppable. Can anyone stop these people? Good evening, and I am the Unstoppable Coach Frankie Picasso, and you are about to go on another Mission Unstoppable. Tonight we are going undercover to learn the secret world of graphology. My guest is a secret weapon of Fortune 100 companies. She's a best-kept secret that those in the know know. People like who? Well, Ben Cohen of Ben & Jerry's Ice Cream knows. So does CNN, the New York Post, and Sony, and the vice president of ABC News. They all know. So what do they know that you don't? Well, for one thing, they know the value of trash cans, refrigerators, shopping carts, and napkins. Huh, you say? Intrigued a little bit? Good. Stay close and stay tuned. We'll be back in just a moment. Today is Tuesday, June the 17th. The time is 9 p.m. in New York, 6 in Los Angeles. And in case of our friends in Austria, if you're listening in, it is 2 a.m., and I do hope that you're going to be joining us. I'd like to thank the good folks here at Blog Talk Radio for allowing me to broadcast over their network each and every week. Fantastic. Great. Harold, nice to see you in our in our room there, and I'm glad that you can hear me now. We are back. It's my pleasure to introduce to you a woman who has had an incredible talent as a graphologist and an executive business coach. You've probably heard the expression, you can run, but you can't hide. Well, it's never been more true. The handwriting is on the wall, and guess what it's saying about you? Well, if you're Arlen Imberman, it will tell you what your skills uh, are, what your focus is like, your intellect, ambition, integrity, loyalty, anger, if you're duplicitous, and let me save you some time. If you have an important negotiation coming up, Call Arlen so she can arm you with the info about your opponent, their strengths, and their weaknesses. Why not have the upper hand? That's what smart business people do. That's why they call Arlen instead of Miss Cleo. Tonight she's going to be uh, tell you about my partnership with a very important man in my life, what's good, what's not, how to improve it. In fact, she's going to tell me if I'm in the right relationship. Stay tuned for that. As already stated, her work is known all over the world. There are many folks who wouldn't make a move uh, to hire anyone until they speak to her. Her company is called Emerging Image, Inc. She's the author of Signature for Success, How to Analyze Handwriting and Improve Your Career, Relationships, and Your Life. Please say good evening to my friend, Arlen Imberman. Good evening, Arlen. Good evening. Welcome. Thank you for that great introduction. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Wow, I'm really glad that you're here with us on uh, Mission Unstoppable tonight. And we've got we've got some folks in the in the chat room, and it's really good to have you here. I always love it when there's people waiting to to hear what we have to say. And you have a lot to say, so I'm really glad. I'm going to keep it simple in the beginning. Um, I jokingly referred to the garbage can napkins from restaurants and shopping lists uh, in the introduction, but you know the, the fact is that letter writing is fast becoming a lost art. Uh, I don't know, like you have this wonderful stationery right out of Emily Post. <laughs> you send these great, these great letters and, and, and wonderful cards. But email has replaced the, the, the written word, Arlen. Do you find that it makes it more difficult to read the Gen Xers or even the Nexters? It is very difficult to read, unfortunately. Um, there are people that still will write a memo. They'll still initial a note. They will still write me thank you notes, although unfortunately now it's probably going to be non-existent after tonight. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Don't say that. But uh, unfortunately, it's not only that people don't write notes. It's that children don't even learn how to write anymore. It's It's not only a great loss to graphologists, it's a great loss to historians because diaries and letters, which were such an important part that form biographies and, and form character, are lost. When you have something that is handwritten from somebody you love, unlike an email, you have that energy on the page. You have something that belonged to that person that you can keep and hold. And unfortunately, that, that is becoming harder and harder to get. Right, and that's why... You know, sometimes we we see people writing notes. They throw them in the garbage can. They put them on the on the refrigerators, and that's I think that's what I was really kind of referring to. Instead of the, those long letters that that people used to write to one another. For those who are in graphology 101, let's just 
explain what the word means, what it is, and what it's not? Yes, of course. Well, graphology is the ability to look at a pattern on the page and decode it. It takes you inside the mind of that person, and because it's written often when through your subconscious or unconscious, it is very revealing, unlike your signature, which is a very conscious part of your writing and yourself. Your signature is the way you want to appear to the world. A letter is often the way you see yourself, which is why it's often very difficult to simulate a writing that isn't your own and to fool a graphologist because it is, you know, basically unconscious. If you have an accident, if you have a stroke, your writing will never be quite the same because it comes from your brain. Whereas if you have a prosthesis, you can learn to write exactly the way you wrote before the accident. Okay, that's interesting. Now, I'm going to brag about you a little bit because I'm just going to tell everyone that you are the first graphologist to address a group of students at Columbia University Graduate School of Business, and that's pretty exciting. And that was wonderful, yes. <laughs> it was wonderful. You, you, were, you have a word that you coined. I think it's called graphoskeptic. Right. And what does that refer to? Well, it refers to anybody that thinks they know what graphology is and why they don't like it. Often, many of these people haven't had their handwriting read, or they've had their handwriting read by somebody who read a book on graphology and calls themselves a graphologist without formal training, which is a big problem for professional graphologists like myself. We don't have a national standard. We don't have a national form of certification as there is in countries in Europe. So anyone can pick up a book on graphology and call themselves a graphologist. Okay. And that's number of is graphoskeptics. Graphoskeptics. And, it, and for those of you who had your palm read, it's nothing like it. <laughs> it's nothing like it. Nothing like it. You have a good story, though, about um, a man who thought that what you did was a parlor game. Do you remember? Um, I think you were at a dinner party. You were sitting next to him. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, I did. Uh, uh, a man who actually was with the FBI at the time. And he thought that um, what I did was a parlor game. And I said, well, write me something. So he had a, a place card and he wrote one sentence. And, he, and the sentence was, if you can analyze this correctly, I'll give you more business than you can handle. And he signed his name. And just to sort of show him what I could do, I sent him a five-page written report of that sentence. And he was so surprised because we'd never met before, mm -hmm. uh, and I knew nothing about him, and I couldn't even research him. This was, not in the, this was even before the Internet was popular, so I couldn't Google him. Uh, and he was so surprised that he did, in fact, send me a lot of wonderful clients. And that's what I love about graphoskeptics. Once they are persuaded that you do have value, they're just as loyal to their new view of you as they were to their old view of you. Fantastic. I'm just going to give out your website for those of you who want to maybe go have a look while we're talking. It is www.emergingimage.net, and you can go to Arlen's uh, website and see what she does. You can also download her. Uh, you can buy her book from Amazon.com. You can buy it from the Institute for Quantum Living on my website, and you can probably get it from your website as well, I'm assuming. <laughs> Is that correct, Arlen? I think you can you ought to try Amazon.com before my website. Okay, there you go. So it's a great book. I'm looking at it. I have it right here. It's fantastic, and we're going to talk a little bit about what's in it um, in a few minutes. But I do want to talk about um, how you got into graphology and how did you meet your mentor, Felix Klein? Yes, uh, actually, I was recommended to my mentor, Felix Klein, by people who felt with the demise of the polygraph graphology might come into its own as a way of getting to know and understand a person and also their integrity. And my teacher was a remarkable man. He had studied graphology from a time he was 13 years old. He was Viennese. He was a Holocaust survivor, and his life was saved because he would analyze the handwriting of the SS officers, and he would extend the analysis as long as he could because it was so warm in their hut where they were staying. Mm -hmm. And he told one that he should never have been in the military. This was an officer who had three generations of sons in the military. Mm 
And he said, that's true. And my teacher said, you should be a farmer. And he was amazed because there was tremendous pressure on him and his family to uh, go into the military. And he wanted to reward my teacher, but he knew that he couldn't touch him or try in any way to humanize him because if he did, he couldn't continue what he was doing as an officer. So he asked him what he could get for him. And my teacher was starved for protein, and he said, I would love anything, cheese, bread, anything. And he got him this huge loaf of uh, sort of, of French bread with cheese, and, he, and my teacher cut it up into 16 pieces so that each one of the people in the camp could have some of that sandwich with him. And so that the officer wouldn't have to touch him again to humanize him, he threw it over this fence so that there still would be no immediate contact between the two of them. While he was in the camp, he noticed that the spine of people's letters was bent. And depending upon whether it was bent to the left, which meant stress from the past, or bent to the right, which meant fear of the future, when you feel that something is coming at you, you bend to avoid it. And he was fascinated at, at this discovery. When he followed up with some of these people after they left the camps, he noticed that the spines of their letters straightened up. And you can see today with people who are undergoing tremendous trauma that they will do the same thing with the spines of their letters, the letter I, the letter H, the letter L, as uh, my teacher discovered with these people in the camps. Wow, that's something else. Now, how did you run into Felix? And so, so, so you were recommended to him, and where was he when you were recommended to him? He was an Austrian living in New York, and he, he founded his own society called the National Society of Graphology. And he was an amazing man. He, he taught us uh, psychology, and you can see the typologies of Freud and Jung and Adler in handwriting. And he also divided handwriting up into three sections Similar to Freud, the upper loops, the upper zone would be the superego, the middle zone, the letters resting on the baseline would be the ego, and the lower zone would be the id or the unconscious. Mm -hmm. And we were able to form fascinating profiles of people based on this. In my book, for example, I show you how people's handwriting change over time. For example, President Nixon, mm -hmm. when he was first elected president, his handwriting was very clear and bold. When Watergate, sorry, when uh, Kent State happened, he started to drink and his letters became very wavy. Uh, when Watergate happened, he he's almost missing the middle zone, the ego, in the letter. Wow. When he resigned, his letter is like a flat EKG line. And then when he was being rehabilitated with his career as a statesman, you see how his letters are beginning to be formed again, but he could not write the letter I. He referred to himself in the third person. He would always say R-N. He would never say I. And since the left side of the page represents the past, if you look at his letters, you see there's a huge left margin because he doesn't want to deal with or have to dwell on what happened to him in the past. And this is in my book. Signature. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. Um, I want to talk about the the um, the note that you sent me regarding the candidates. But I just, uh, um, Harold Funkin is in our window, and he said that he understands that there is some correlation between the character revealed by standard testing, such as the Minnesota multiphasic, and results obtained by grapholo uh, graphological analysis. Is my understanding correct? Yes, that is true. In fact, my teacher again did a correlation between the TAT, the thematic apperception test, and graphology. That was also true. And the California Q-sort uh, was tested against. These were uh, psychologists who spent six months coming to particular conclusions about their patients and gave them the California Q-sort test. Uh, and what does, that test, what does that test reveal? It reveals really a lot of your inner anxieties, feelings, traumas. Um, it reveals a, a certain uh, profile of your personality 
the same test, I shouldn't say the same test, the same people wrote uh, paragraphs to this graphologist. Mm -hmm. And within, goodness, just a, a half an hour or an hour, these graphologists came up with their own ideas as to what the personality type was like. And it correlated beautifully with the California QSort test. Wow. And what was um, interesting about oh, it was, sorry. No, 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 go ahead. What was interesting about it was that although it's a, all of these tests certainly are valid, graphology was able to, by professional graphologists, was able to reveal within a very short time in a completely non-invasive way, just looking at, a, at a, one's handwriting on a page, mm -hmm. tremendous amount of information that often can take much longer when you, when you sit down to these um, standardized tests. I mean, it has a lot of uses, graphology. I know that I sent you um, a special case of, of a father whose son was autistic. He couldn't communicate with his son, and yet, you know, he sent you his son's handwriting, and you were able to give him a whole lot of information about what was going on inside his son, which was fascinating for everybody, really. Well, I hope I was accurate, and I hope I was able to help the father because it's such a terribly locked world that his son lives in especially if his son is as bright as this boy was. And you know you were. He wrote me today, and, he, and he, he's ordering um, the music, as you suggested, and it's pretty, it's pretty great. Um, okay, Harold is asking, how long does it take a graphologist to analyze a page of writing? Well, uh, it depends on what they're analyzing it for. If you're analyzing it for the choice of someone's profession, it should take at least 30 minutes because it's an enormous responsibility. If you're analyzing it because a person would just like to learn much more about themselves, then it, it, it can often take as little as 15 minutes. It depends on how thorough uh, the graphologist is, what their training is, and how, much they, you know, how long a report they want to give. Now, you, you study um, gestalt graphology. There are other kinds, is that correct? Yes, there are. There's the French School of Graphology, which is uh, broken down to a great extent by traits. There, and, and then there is the American School. Uh, the Gestalt School is a bit different in the sense that it's like a pattern, like a photograph being developed on a page. You have to look at it, and rather than break it down into elements, you begin to see patterns emerging, and you look at particular signs, ways that people connect their letters, the margin, the spacing, the pressure on the page, and you um, begin to see a pattern, but only after looking at it very carefully and studying it. And suddenly, as I said, it begins to come alive to you. It takes much a bit more concentration. Uh, Sorry, Arlen. Uh, the question in the chat room is, how much does it cost? And I'm going to say it probably depends on the service rendered. That's right. Exactly right. It depends on the purpose. Can you give us a ballpark what some people might be charging in the field? Uh, I think the, it, the charge is, oh, anywhere from 150 to $300. And that's an average coaching charge as well. You know, I mean, you're an executive business coach as well. And I don't know, you know, what you charge on top of your graphology, but that seems like it's um, definitely right, right in line with every professional in, in this kind of business. So that's pretty good. I um, use, in my coaching, I use graphology as a form of assessment mm -hmm. because it, it saves a tremendous amount of time of getting to know the person and of hearing about the person from other people. It gives me what I think of as a very important insight. So after we're able to talk about what I think might be causing the problems of uh, the client, uh, as a coach, I like to think that I can create strategies that might help to resolve some of these business problems that they might be having. If you are listening in and you want to give us a call, you can do so at 646-595-3741. You're talking, we are talking to Arlen Imberman, and she is the um, CEO of her company, EmergingImage.net. Uh, that's her website, and her, uh, she's the author of a great, fantastic book. And 
let's talk about the, what you did about the candidates. I found that fascinating. Oh, you, the candidates. Um, My goodness. Me, yeah, an article that was done um, where you analyzed the handwriting of Hillary Clinton, John McCain, and Barack Obama. Yes. Uh, well, do you want me to tell you what I saw of Barack Obama, Clinton, and, and uh, McCain? Is that what you are asking? Yeah, I would like to. Yeah, I'd like to know what you saw compared to what you thought you knew. Let's say even before you saw their handwriting, um, if you found something different that you, that surprised you even from what the public knows from from reading about them. And uh, well, you know, the problem, of course, is I did this preparation for this USA Today article about seven months ago, and with the tapeworm of television today where everything is known within a very short time. It's very hard for anyone to say, well, you could have read that, you could have heard that. Right. But I will try to do the best I can um, with what I saw many months ago. I know that you're a woman of a great integrity. You wouldn't have cheated. <laughs> um, I did predict uh, to the L.A. Times uh, several weeks ago that you know, that Hillary was a pit bull with manners, that she would not leave until the last dog dies. And I was really proud of that because that was several weeks before uh, she actually did decide to leave the campaign. Um, I said about John McCain, of course, it's very difficult to do his writing in the sense that he has had a lot of medical issues, you know, with his writing hand. Mm -hmm. But um, he, the writing stroke is very angular, very intense on the page, which means it's not easy for him to compromise. The letters are not written clearly, which means he doesn't always reveal his agenda. He presents himself as a straight shooter, but the letters thread out at the end of McCain, showing he's, he is willing to take advantage of opportunities. And, of course, uh, it's distorted. The, the A-I-N disintegrates in McCain. Yeah, it's really bizarre looking. I'm just looking at the article for those of you who are wondering why. The space between McCain's first and last name is usually wide. It's a sign that he's much more introverted than he appears to be. And this is very difficult because you can't be an introvert and be in politics. The last introvert we had in politics was Richard Nixon. And, you know, we think of the pleasure of shaking hands, of crowds, of speaking spontaneously that we think of with Reagan and we think of with Kennedy and Clinton and and for McCain, it's much more of a challenge. Um, the, he has tremendous intellect and creativity. That's evident in the way the capital J is connected to the O in John, again, which forms an angle. But um, he knows what he wants. He knows how to go after it. He, he finds it very, very difficult, as I said, because of the distortion of the letters with his uh, with the medical problems with his writing hand. So if you like, we can go to Obama. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, it's difficult because we're not on television and people can't see. I know, it's too bad they can't see his, his, his I'm, I'm hoping. No, his, his, his last name, though, it looks like a scope almost, the way he signs Obama. Like when I look at that, oh, it's like, like a sniper scope. A scope, it might, someone interpreted it as being the fact that he pierces the O with a long line, and that that, that is his mixed race background, oh, that he cool. lives in two worlds. Interesting. I see it as a target, as, as an archer's arrow hitting the bullseye. But it rises up from a lower zone, indicating a capacity for self-examination. It's a very simple and dynamic B. Um, he's young, he has the capacity to continue learning and utilizing his considerable intelligence, and he can maneuver. It's very thready. It, it's like a skater shifting his weight onto the uh, shoals of the ice and changing direction with ease. Um, he, he makes his last name his logo, and it's almost completely illegible. Uh, but it does confirm a very rapid, competent, and capable intellect. His large capital letters are a sign that he needs and knows how to get attention. Um, it's very fluid. He has limited experience, but he, his problem, this is his problem, and this may be his downfall, is that he is very proud. And this pride can take the form of arrogance, which we have not seen publicly yet. 
but which I believe is there. And it's, it's also shown in the large capital letters. He is much more aggressive than he appears. And like President Clinton, he seems mellow and agreeable. And because he seems agreeable, people may mistake that for him agreeing with them. It's not quite the same thing. But behind his velvet surface, he is really steel and pragmatism, and people should not underestimate him. Okay, and you spoke of Hillary. Um, we have a question in the in the chat room. It's kind of interesting, so maybe we can just go there for a second. Um, they'd like to know, um, how would you analyze the signature of someone who writes in Arabic, part two, and would it be interesting to compare that what such a person wrote in English and how they wrote in Arabic? Great question. Great question. In my book, I analyze the writing of Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden in Arabic. And I'm going to have to, it's, it's very difficult to try to, to describe it. If you see the difference between the two, um, you, you will see, for example, with Hussein, that the letters, even though it's the same alphabet, the letters are very chaotic. They're very jangled. The sense of space is, skew, is skewed. Um, there is a, a tremendous difficulty in maneuvering and coordinating the pen. Frighteningly, when you look at Osama bin Laden's writing, it is completely clear. It is precise. It is perfectionistic. It is controlled. It is rigid. And even though, as I said, these are character letters which don't give you the kind of information you would have with the zones uh, with, this, with the Western script, you can still see quite a bit um, in, their, uh, in their signatures, in their handwriting. The advantage of graphology is because we don't read the content, we can analyze any language in the Western script. You know, I, I think people have um, a fear to send their writing because they go, oh, my handwriting is awful. And I know I had that fear to send you my handwriting. But it really has nothing to do with how you write. It's the photograph of the writing, really. It's the picture. That's, that It's the white and the black spaces, right? That's right. And when you say the white and the black, you are so right because the negative space is just as important as the letters. The amount of space you leave between the words and the lines and the letters is just as revealing as the letters themselves. For example, if you leave a lot of space, it can show that you are um, a person that finds it very difficult to connect to others or trust others. If you leave the kind of space that your special friend has left, it shows an emotional clarity. It shows an ability to see things and feel things very deeply. It shows a self-examination and an introspection. So just like a Henry Moore sculpture where you look at the whole and the mass, the whole is just as important to the beauty and the, the completion of the sculpture as the mass is. I love Henry Moore, by the way. <laughs> no, no, I'm just talking about if you look at it. In a picture, I know, I know. I just have yeah. to be one of my favorite uh, sculptures. Now, um, a friend of mine is in here, Lydia. She has a company called Empowering Space. And she says her handwriting is large and very curvy. What is she hiding? Ah, I don't know, but she's, see, I, I, it, it, it's very difficult. This is what gives us a bad name. Yeah. It's very difficult for me to give you an answer just based on one sentence. I have to see the total picture. But often it, a large writing can mean a tremendous generosity. It can mean a lot of emotionalism. It can mean a need to take over the space or be noticed. But I really can't do it with just a sentence that way, especially without seeing it. I know. I don't know if she's hiding anything. She she may, in fact, not want to hide anything. She just might want to have everybody realize that she's there. Well, Arlen, I'd like you to meet Dan. Dan is now on the line. Dan, meet Arlen. Hello, Dan. Hello. I, I feel as if I know you. <laughs> For those of you who are listening, Dan sent a letter to Arlen, and he is a special man in my life, and we are now going to hear what? And I want to tell you that after I finish this, he's going to be even more special. And yeah. we did not rehearse this, Dan. I don't know anything about you. And I've not even seen a picture of you. So I'm just going by your writing. And I hope that you're going to find it as interesting as I did in doing it. 
Okay. So, all I ask is that if I'm correct, would you tell me? Okay. All right. Um, now, let me start here. You have a very interesting signature. It goes, the, the, um, your last, the, the last Y in your name, Kearney, goes to the left, which is a kind of counterstroke. It goes down into the lower zone and it moves over to the right in the last name. And that is a, a bit of resistance to a father. The D um, is large, which is a need for recognition. And there are clear signs. Again, this is really difficult because the audience doesn't have a chance to see the sample. There are clear signs of intelligence and respect for the reader. First of all, you don't like to write, but you took so much care in writing this and in making it legible and a sort of perfectionism, placing as many words as you could on the space, seeing to it that the reader would be able to understand it. There's wonderful space between the lines and letters, which, as I said earlier, shows a clarity, but there are no margins. Do you normally write without margins on a page? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's right. That's the way I sent it to you is exactly where I'd write in. Okay. When there are no margins on a page, since the page is your world, the page is the writer's world, and the pattern on the page is the way you see yourself and how you negotiate that world, you you like to uh, take over that world and to feel a sense of equilibrium, feel that you're in command of that world. Um, and I mean this in a positive way, not in a negative way. You don't like to make mistakes. There's a certain perfectionism in the way you printed the letters. Um, and you dig into the page. There's a lot of intensity. You don't like to be told what to do. That's um, <laughs> you want to keep on top of the world. You don't want outside forces to feel that they're controlling you. You have a lot of physical intensity and vitality. You're in really good health. I think that's very strong. Um, there's no indentation with the paragraphs, which is your way of saying, take me as I am, or not at all. <laughs> your downstrokes go into the lower zone, and again, they go to the right. So you really want to do your own thing your own way. You don't like somebody telling you, this is the way we always did it. This is the way the company does it. That doesn't mean anything to you. You are very confident in the way you do things, and you want to stay with that. You have a lot of originality in the way you create some of your letters. Um, and also, you, you're very concerned about communicating your message clearly. There is nothing sloppy, nothing haphazard, no detail overlooked in the writing. You can reach out to others when you need to, but you want to be in charge. Your signature is very soft, which, and very liquid, which means you can be quite charming and engaging when you want to. And you need to be independent. You need a woman to give you your own space and leave you alone. Not ignore you, but leave you alone. A woman who will need you, but not in a codependent way. You want to be needed verbally, but you don't want a woman to be demanding of you. You want someone who will respect your boundaries. And Rilke said that love is being the custodian of each other's solitude. And you like to feel that you can have your own time and be left alone without your partner feeling that she's neglected. You're very smart. You, you've organized the space very well. You also put a lot of words on the page, which means you anticipate well. You think carefully. You get a lot in on the line. And you can be careful with money except when you want to splurge. Once in a while, you have this extraordinary urge to splurge and just break out of your mode of being careful and saying, oh, the hell with it. Let's have a wonderful time. <laughs> wow, that's all, that's all so true. That really does sound like me. Money is your scorecard. It makes you feel better. You have a lot of creativity inside you. You like to deal with creative people in some form or another. You're very demanding. You're demanding of yourself and you're demanding of others, but you don't like to ask others anything that you wouldn't ask of yourself. You're a very tough taskmaster, but yet your signature is very lovely, smooth, and easygoing. 
So this is the way you can appear to people who don't know what a tough taskmaster you are. <laughs> then they have a little surprise when they find it out. Um, you need to be appreciated. You're smart enough to know how to appreciate others. You're a man of character and substance, but you don't let people in easily. You, um, you may have had a couple of issues with your mother, who might not have been everything that you had hoped, so you need, uh, which doesn't mean you don't love her very much, but you need, and, and, and you can blossom around somebody who gives you a lot of nurturing and somebody who's very consistent. Um, you can get bored easily, but never with Frankie. She is like, she keeps you fueled like a spark plug. She will always give you um, ideas and fun and, and intellectual stimulation. Um, you also are always concerned about continuing. You know, you think to rest is to rust. And you don't ever take the time to savor your accomplishments. You, once you finish them, they're meaningless to you. And you say, oh, well, anybody could have done it. But that's not true. Not anybody could have done it. You did it. And you don't take the time to say, you know, I did a pretty good job with that. You're I agree with that. <laughs> you're so anxious to begin again, to begin again. It's like a blank slate. And I want you to make a list of things that you are most proud of. You don't have to show them to anybody else, but you shouldn't lose sight of them. Um, you're really a continual work in progress. You could be an entrepreneur. Uh, you have the writing of an entrepreneur. Uh, you like, though, educated and thought through risks. For the Myers-Briggs, you would be an original introvert who's learned how to be an extrovert, but basically your character is that of an introvert. You're a thinker rather than a feeler. You're a bit of a sensate and an intuitive in that you can anticipate well, like an intuitive, but you like things to be concrete so you can control them like a sensate. You're a perceiver, not a judger. You like to go your own way and do your own thing. And you really are comfortable. The worst thing, you know the worst thing that anybody could say about you? Mm. You're conventional. Yeah. That's the worst thing anyone could ever say. They never will, yeah, but you would true. never want them to. You don't suffer authority well. Um, you love stimulation and challenge, which means you deal well with stress. You've got a lot of vitality, and you can adjust well to stress. But you want to keep your universe free of too much of it, even though it does. You like the adrenaline high of stress. So you design your world so that it is stressful because you're very competitive and you like the stress of competition and you want to win. But you don't want to put yourself against too large a barrier. You pick your battles very carefully. I wouldn't want to negotiate with you. But if somebody came up to me and said, how can I get the – oh, I hope none of your adversaries are listening to this. Should I say it on the radio or should I wait until we're off the program? Oh, go ahead. My adversaries are not. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, if somebody wants to get the better of you in a negotiation, they should keep you guessing. They should generate impatience with you. They should spin out and keep you waiting for the answer. Um, because you love, you can't handle the uncertainty. You like to know where everything is, how you can get hold of it, when you can get hold of it. And that um, lack of certainty would really get you a little bit crazy. You also come into a negotiation and into your work very well prepared, and the person negotiating with you better be prepared or else they will be toast. <laughs> they will be roadkill. <laughs> you cool. have your you have your own agenda and uh I think and I'm so relieved you have no idea I I think that you are a wonderful match with Frankie. Right. I I think that she understands your needs. I think that she adapts well to your needs. I think she is empathic. I think that she um gives you your space. She has an interesting enough life where she can allow you your space and have more to tell you when the two of you come together. Um, 
I think that uh, you're both intense in different ways. She also loves challenges, hates boredom, just like you do. Because uh, boredom, she'd rather be miserable than be bored, because boredom is the absence of feeling. And she is restless, like you are. Um, and she'll jump thinking that she might get wings before she hits the ground. And she anticipates well, just like you do. Um, she also gets bored easily. She also doesn't like to be managed. I think you've got a wonderful soulmate. And I'm, I don't know how you met, but I, I think it's a terrific match. Have you been together long? About three months. There are only good things ahead for both of you. Arlen, that was amazing. Well, wait, wait, wait. Let me hear what Dan has to say. Don't, don't. Don't influence him. Okay, I that won't. Was, uh, that was excellent. Everything that you said was pretty much right on. I didn't hear anything that was uh, that I didn't feel was correct. Not a thing. Well, I'm glad that you feel that way. You also can grow together. You know, you can really help each other to grow together. Yeah, that sounds that sounds excellent. I I love that. My. My mom did uh, a thing that was she, it was called personology, where she would read a person's face. And when I was growing up, she would uh, we'd have people over to the house, and she would tell them all about themselves. And uh, wow, the same kind of thing. It was you know, and I've I've kind of heard this before. And uh, and what you've done um, with my handwriting is pretty much right on for my personality, right on. Have you ever thought of becoming an entrepreneur? Um, not not really. No, I've I've always played it a little bit safe. Yes, yes. <laughs> but uh, you never know. Well, um, if you found the right partner, I think you would be a terrific entrepreneur. Yeah, because you've got true. the energy, you've got the drive, you've got the intensity, uh, you've got the motivation. And um, it might be something you want to think about further down the line, maybe with a banker who won't take risks. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds great. That's fabulous. Uh, that's pretty interesting. Um, I and I swear I didn't tell her anything, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> she's got lots of integrity. Arlen does. That's yeah. yeah. Well, she's she's right on. That was that was perfect. I think you you really complement each other very much um, because just as you don't want to be conventional, neither does Frankie. Yeah. So you, you're each going to find your own path and your own path together. And I think that she can she can be an anchor from which you can sail. You know, she's a very consistent person. And you know that you can count on her. And she has passed your test. I don't know how many you've given her. I don't know how long it took, but she did pass them finally. Yeah. yeah I did? Yeah, she did. <laughs> That's funny. Did Oh, wow. Um, I'll laugh that in just a second. Oh. <laughs> Arlen, thank you so much for, for that. And, Dan, thank you so much for uh, being such a good sport and coming on. A very good sport, Dan. Because she didn't know what she was going to say, and neither did I. And so it's always, a, you know... But, you know, that, that's the personality. He's going to go out and take a little risk, get a little, you know, adrenaline rush. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you, Arlen. That was, that was great. It was, it was a lot of fun to... Uh, it, it was a pleasure. And in a year from now, I want to do it again, and we'll see how your writing has changed. You think my writing will change in a year? Well, you never know. Uh, <laughs> normally it takes about seven years. I don't know what I want to wait seven years. But your writing can also change depending on your mood. You know, it's... It's That's a snapshot. It's not a portrait. Yeah. But as you, I, you, you, your writing may change as you become more and more comfortable with each other. You may, your writing may even take on aspects of the other. You don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, you know how you said about me that um, I'm a big picture person and I don't like the fine details. Well, Dan does the fine detail, and to me, like that's the beautiful part of any relationship is that, you know you pick up from the other what the other kind of lacks in a little bit. 
and finish it. That's true, and and the same is true in business. You know, it's very important to be able to get a uh, insight into somebody that you're going to be sharing experiences with, either it be money or creating a product or working toward a, toward a goal, to be able to get a very clear idea of your partner before you start the uh relationship together because then you lose all objectivity and then it becomes more and more difficult to be able to see it the way you can in the very beginning. Um, okay, well, thank you very much for that. We've got some questions here. Um, am I type 7? No, I'm actually a type 2. I'm the healer. Um, Arlen, they want to know, Miss Emberman, did you analyze the handwriting of your significant other? Or have you ever done that? Yes, I have. Yes, I certainly have. I wonder if my significant other presented that question. It <laughs> could be. Uh, I, I'm widowed, and um, before I married, I went to my uh, teacher, and I said, please tell me what you see. Uh, I, I married a litigator, actually. I was married for 26 years, and she told me all about him, so that I had very few surprises. Um, she told me exactly where we would have difficulty and where we would have compatibility. And I must say, uh, it, it was never boring, but I'd never have a disillusionment that people often can have when they go into a relationship imagining uh, a great many things because of the way they appear, but not the way they really are. Interesting, huh? I mean that that because it takes a it takes a while, especially you know I think back in I'll call them, you know as the kids say back in the day, <laughs> back in the day when people didn't live together, um, you know you would you came into relationship, but you obviously came into relationships with different mindset too. I, I think our parents and, and grandparents didn't go into relationships expecting to divorce. However, today when you know we go into relationships, it, it takes you know six months, a year, whatever, living with somebody to find finally realize who they are and so you found that out up front you got to have that information up front to you know to get the real deal and maybe you know he didn't even know some of the stuff that you knew well you know one of the big problems is what Jules Pfeiffer said that women say I'm just madly in love with a guy I'm going to turn you into after we get married right yeah yeah um I really think that uh we do have expectations that marriage is really all about expectations. And when we say you disappointed me, the person really didn't disappoint you. You, your expectations were not what they thought they were going to be. And you're disappointed in your expectations. And graphology sometimes can give you a picture of what is possible and what you can expect. Uh, from any one of a number of different kinds of relationships, whether it be with your children, whether it be with somebody who's taking care of uh, your child or an elderly person, whether it be with anyone that you're entrusting a lot of responsibility to. It's really important to try to find out as much as you can before you make that decision. And uh, it's much easier to say, well, no, I don't think this will work, then have them work for you six or eight months and and try to wonder how to just you know how to extricate them from a situation that might not be working out. Um, we had a book sale, yay! Did <laughs> he bought one of your books? He wanted me to. Oh, it, and it wasn't my mother who bought it. I'm delighted. No, it wasn't your mom. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, but she had a question, and maybe we can help answer it a little bit. Um, what does it mean when your handwriting leans to the right, the left, or upright? Yes. Well, all of this, is, of course, is in my book. Oh, right. But uh, if you're, the right represents the future. If your writing leans to the right, you are leaning toward the future. You're leaning toward other people. You're leaning toward engagements. You're leaning toward challenges. Uh, and you're also leaning toward uh, the father. If your handwriting moves to the left, you're leaning toward the past, you're leaning toward oneself. If your handwriting is upright, you are really your own person, and it's a sign of independence and discipline. 
uh, or as my teacher said, if you're leaning toward the right, you're opening the door. If you're upright, you are not decided whether you'll open or close the door. And if you're leaning to the left, the door is locked. Lydia, is that okay for you? Sorry? I was just asking Lydia in, in the chat room if that was okay oh. for her. Yes. Yep. Yep. Was, it, was that all right? I think so. Yep, perfect. <laughs> Excellent. You, um, you had a story um, about Daniel Goldman. About the marshmallow exercise. Oh, yes. Like yes. that story. Any, you can see emotional intelligence in writing, and emotional intelligence is defined, actually it's an industry now, and Daniel Goldman discovered the term, and it's used in business a great deal, and it's composed of social skills, motivation, self-awareness, self-regulation, and empathy. Now, a lot of people don't think of empathy as something important in business. But it's been determined that people who have a high level of emotional intelligence score higher both in life and in tasks than people who just have IQ or the right credentials. And Daniel Goleman was doing a test. He wanted to find out uh, about children who had emotional intelligence. And he gave... Uh, each child, there were five or six children, a plate, and on the plate were two marshmallows. And he said, I want you to eat these marshmallows after this lecture is over. But they had to look at the marshmallows while they were listening to Daniel Goleman. Those children who could not wait and had to eat the marshmallows now did not do anywhere near as well as the children who could wait, postpone the gratification, and eat the marshmallows later because he followed them up in their school years and in their business years to see. This, of course, is a perfect example of self-regulation and self-awareness. And that was the test that he gave them, which was kind of a primitive test, but very interesting one to see their impulsivity. And talking about impulsivity... The reason that writing was so important, penmanship was so important for children, was because it controlled their impulsivity. It made them more disciplined. Hyperactive children who were given handwriting exercises were much better controlled than those who were not. And if you think about it, you know, your brain is working, your mind is working, your hand is working, you're, you're coordinating a, a variety of different parts of your body toward a single focus and it, it can be very valuable and it's just a great pity that handwriting is I, I fear becoming a thing of the past well you know I went to private school and we had I think it was grade three we did the handwriting and then we, we graduated to the fountain pen if we were very uh, good and, and we talked about I got the peacock blue color which I loved and my handwriting was very nice in those days and as time went on and I stopped using the fine point you know, fountain pen, uh, it became a straight line. And I guess, it, you know, it, maybe your handwriting will stay beautiful, but um, like you say, it reveals the inner you. So do people's handwriting change? Like I said, Dan, you said it might happen in seven years, but will it really change? You, you look at handwriting that you may have had five or ten years ago, and you will be shocked mm -hmm. to see the difference. Now, there are people whose handwriting doesn't change at all, very often, those are people who are afraid to take any kind of risks, who stick to the conventional norms. Uh, it's what we call the copybook writing. But anyone who has reinvented themselves, and almost all of us have to these days, the chances are with each new reinvention becomes a new kind of writing, maybe not dramatically different, but you'll begin to see new connections in the writing, a new sense of space, a new way of uh, articulating the letters, and that's your development. That's your maturity. Just look at, if you write your name in books, look at some of the books that you may have in your library from a time that you were a student. Mm -hmm. Look at the difference in your signature, and you really will be very much surprised. That is funny. Well, and the signature is your ego. So as you change, I guess your ego changes, your signature changes. It's kind of fun to, to well, look at Hillary's, that. Hillary's, Hillary's, I was twice the size. I 
showed a, a writing. In fact, I, it may be. I don't know if it was in the USA Today article or not. It uh, might be. Uh, we, didn't, yeah. we didn't do Hillary, but it might be. Yes, um, it has changed. Yes. Yep, yep. She's got much stronger H now than she used to have. That's her sense of who she is. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- that is certainly the ego. The middle zone is the ego. You will see for, for the listeners, it's twice the, well, certainly is very, very much larger than it was. It was very much smaller and tentative when she first entered public life. Now she has felt a tremendous empowerment, and you see that on the page by the way she writes. People who have undergone a great loss or have experienced a great success, very often uh, you will begin to see a difference in their writing. I have the writing of Bill Gates when he first uh, went public in the writing of him, I think it was five years ago. I was shocked. The writing that he had when he first became public on the first annual report was tiny, constrained, cramped, illegible, totally different, huge. Really? Does that grow with your ego? or does it? Just... Your sense of who you are. Confident. Yeah. Your, your sense of the way you feel about yourself. It's, it's a body language on the page. Mm-hmm. I just want to get in again that we are speaking to Arlen Emberman. Her company is called Emerging Image, Inc. Her book is called Signature for Success, How to Analyze Handwriting and Improve Your Career, Relationships, and Your Life. You can go to her website. It's www.emergingimage.net. Is there anything else that we want to tell these folks uh, before we go? We've still got a few minutes, but I just want to make sure all the contact info is there. You've you've covered everything. You've covered everything. Um, I just want to say that you are an amazing executive business coach, and you are the secret weapon for anybody who is in business. So if you have a business and you are going into heavy negotiations, if you have a business and you are going to be hiring people and it's very important that you have a team that is, uh, you know, compatible. Uh, yeah, compatible, loyal, uh, hardworking, all of these things, whatever your needs are, this is a fantastic way to find out if, you know, your money is going to the right place because it's not inexpensive these days to hire people, to even hire companies to hire people. Um, and you would certainly take uh, all of the doubt out of the, out of the process. Well, I will be one source of uh, one resource along with many others, I'm sure, but sometimes things can fall between the cracks and sometimes people can anticipate the answers on tests that they think the employer wants to hear, but you don't know what the graphologist is looking for. And uh, believe me, I know what the graphologist is looking for, and I don't want my colleagues to know me too well, and I can't simulate my writing, much as I'd love to. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. How, do you think they've done that to you? How, how many? How many are there? Like leaders in the field? Are there like just certain number of people that are like really well known? Or you're talking about graphologists? Yeah, yeah. There are many more of them in Europe than there are here. But in the back of my book, I list um, the names of different organizations that uh, teach graphology or present lectures. Uh, on graphology and the names of uh, of graphologists, and of course, um, as okay. I said, they're they're much more numerous. For example, in France, eighty five percent of the companies do hire graphologists, and they insist on a handwritten cover note with your resume. In Switzerland, it, it, graphology is even more popular in many ways in projective tests are the same in Germany. Uh, often these graphologists in Europe come from other professions. They come from psychiatry or neurology or social work. Or, and so they're given uh, a great deal of respect automatically. But graphology is taught in some of the universities in the Department of Psychology. Excellent. And and so it, it can be very helpful in in giving insight into a person that you don't know very well and might not have too much of a chance to get to know. Arlen, we're down to 30 seconds. Thank you so much for being a wonderful guest. You are always amazing, and and I just love having you on the show. Thank you, everybody who joined us in the chat room. Uh, Love to see you in there. And for those of you who are listening or are going to be listening after the show, 
Thank you for supporting Thank us. Thank you for all your questions. I really appreciate people in the chat room. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for buying your book. And buy some more because, you know, it's always good to have your book sold. <laughs> Thank you. Wherever you are in the, in the world, I love you. Take care and have yourself a wonderful evening. Good night. Arlen, thank you so much for the special work that you did. Oh, listen, it was wonderful. And I, I, the most important thing was, of course, that that uh, your friend was pleased. I, I, yeah. I wouldn't want him. I really wouldn't want him to be embarrassed or to feel that, you know, he was unmasked. No, I think we did a good job. I think you did a great job there. Thanks so much. Have yourself a good You are a dream, and we will we will stay in touch. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you, darling, very much. Bye bye. Bye bye.